Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, we're glad you're here on this Memorial Day weekend. It's uh, really an important day, important weekend, as we, again, as we have remembering those who have given their lives in service of their country and blessed us to be here. Uh, we're very, very grateful. We're in a series called Unstuck. And um, today we're going to be looking at some things. I want to just start off with a quick, a quick video. It's an older video, but I think it'll help us get started. Watch. In the regular season, Rick Berry averaged 21.8 points a game. Here in the playoffs against Detroit and now Los Angeles, he is averaging 30.6. He is hitting 47% from the field, an increase over his regular season, 44%. And you already know he's a magnificent free throw shooter. All right, what, what was different about him? Granny shot, that's right. Granny shot. Uh, Rick Berry ended his career, in fact, here in Houston in 1980. And uh, he has, has one of the highest free throw percentages in NBA history, 89.9%. Top three, top five that have ever played. His last year here, it was a 94.7%. Unbelievable. And he credits some of his success to that style of shooting, the granny shot. He, he said he's discovered that there are fewer things that can go wrong with a style. And in fact, in 2008, Discover Magazine uh, had a physics professor check it out and discovered that was true. There, was, there were reasons of physics that made it work better than the typical overhand shot. Interestingly, another NBA great, Wilt Chamberlain, uh, played a, a few years earlier, who in fact holds the record for the most points in a game, 100 points in a single game, was a terrible free throw th shooter. His average, lifetime average was 54%. I mean, imagine, 54 versus 89.9. Huge difference. Uh, he actually, uh, early on in his career, knowing he wasn't that good, he actually tried the granny style, and it dramatically incre inc increased his percentage accuracy. But then he thought it looked so weird, next year he stopped and went back to the old way, and his percentage dropped back. It's amazing how we can get caught up in what other people think. Um, study came out just recently from the NFL uh, that showed that when refs are making a call for penalties along the sideline where they're more of a judgment call, late hit penalties typically is what we're talking about, and, and where you have to judge, were they in bounds, were they out of bounds, was it, were they, there's all kinds of things you've got to figure out in there, that what the study showed is that, that the, the refs calls significantly higher percentage went toward the team right there at the, at the sideline. Whichever team was there who was, had their team, you know, members of the, the team yelling and screaming and calling for the, the call, those were the calls that were made. It was a higher percentage, a noticeably higher percentage. There were other areas of play where there weren't differences, but in that particular area, refs showed that, that they, could, they themselves could succumb to the pressure of what others think. What happens in sports, and it happens in lots of areas in sports, happens in all kinds of areas in our lives. We're often affected by what other people think. We tend to desire 
approval, people's approval of us. And, and for many, in fact, it's even an addiction. And this need for approval all too often causes us to, to become stuck, stuck in our careers, stuck in our relationships, stuck in our choices. And that's what many of you told us in our survey that we did a, a few weeks ago as we were preparing for this, serv- this these series of services, that, that many of you feel this, this stuck in your, in your life because of this, this sense that you feel a need for approval. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. Or in the message translation, it says, the fear of human opinion disables. Pastor and counselor Andy Farmer says that in the fear of man, people live bound by the opinions of others, either craving their approval or fearing their rejection. Craving their approval or fearing their rejection. And now, obviously, in a sense, this is a form of fear, which we looked at last week, but we may not think of it that way. And, and here's the thing about it. It's not limited to non-Christians or to Christians. It's, we see this happening in, in, in all kinds of folks. It's extremely common in the Bible. And we see people like Abraham and Isaac, Aaron, Eli, Saul, Solomon, Pilate giving into it. And some of these were not men of great faith. They were not, they were not godly men, but some of them were. And one of the best examples of this is found in the life of the apostle Peter. Peter was considered the leader of the disciples while Jesus was here on earth and and also the leader for several years after Jesus's resurrection of the apostles in the early church there in Jerusalem. So let's see how the need for approval really actually unfolds in his life. If you recall on the last night Jesus was here on earth as a human being the Last Supper, and later that night he was betrayed. Before that, at that Last Supper, Peter said to Jesus, hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to always stand with you. I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to stand up for you. And Jesus warned him that, in fact, that would not be the case, that he would deny him three times before morning. Only hours later, you know, many of you know the story, Jesus, he's arrested, He's taken to the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish religious high council. And Peter follows along, but he's kind of back a distance watching very quiet. We pick up then the text in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69. It's, it's in your notes or in your Bibles if you want to follow along. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke and curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter had talked this good game. He was confident that that he could stand strong. But when the rubber met the road, when he was faced with there would be consequences for his decision to follow Jesus, he gave in. And yet days later, after Jesus' resurrection in John 21, 
we see Jesus sharing breakfast with Peter on the shore of Lake Galilee and, and essentially offers him forgiveness for each of those three times he denied Jesus. Then going a little farther forward into the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, found in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit has come into Peter's life for the very first time, Peter stands up before thousands of Jews in Jerusalem, right where Jesus had been crucified, and preaches the very first sermon of the church. And he is a different man with the Spirit in him. Picking up in Acts 2, verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, if he was trying to kind of tread lightly, he was kind of putting it in their face. Going on in verse 40, he says, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 lives. 3,000. Imagine that. That means that many plus many more heard him in public there in Jerusalem, right in the city where Jesus was captured and crucified. Days later, Peter and the apostles would be imprisoned for what they were doing and brought before the Sanhedrin. In chapter 5, it says, And then when the captain with the officers had brought the apostles, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this, his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Now remember, only weeks before Jesus denied, or Peter denied Jesus, before some servant girls. And now he is standing up in front of the very men who condemned him, Jesus, to death. And he's confronting them. He's refusing to give in. And, and, and that would seem to be the end of the story. The Spirit has come upon him. He has is, he is turned his life around. He is now not giving in to the applause of people. And, and everything should be going great at this point. But then we discover an additional passage that Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 2. That our hero who seems to have gotten unstuck, who has put it all behind him, here's what happened several years later. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? For years, it appeared he was doing great. But there were still challenges. If we thought becoming a follower of Jesus Christ means that we will never give in 
to sin and the need for approval again? Well, Peter here shows us that that's not the case. It's not true. And in fact, if we're honest, if we look around us, if we look in, in most cases, if we look at our own lives, we'll see that it's also true in our lives as well. It's, it, it's sad. I mean, we, you know, we'd love to all say, I, I gave my life to those of us who've done this, gave my life to Christ and the Holy Spirit has come to live in me and I've never battled that, that, that need for approval again. But we need to talk about real life here, guys. And, and Scripture shows us that this is a battle that virtually all of us struggle with, that men and women of faith battle this as much as the rest of us. And yet, in Christ, it is possible to overcome it. But when we think we've made it, when we think I can put it behind me, when we can think it's no more an issue for me, we can discover an area of our lives where it's still a battle or where we put it behind us at one point because of circumstances that have happened, because of getting distracted, because of all kinds of reasons. Once again, it's a battle. And this is really important because it tells you and me, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we can't let our guard down because this need for approval that is so rampant in our culture, that is so common in many of our lives, can easily sneak back into our lives and catch us if we're not watching. The drive for approval is, in, is in fact, in one sense, God-given because we need God and and. and and his love for us. And so this need for approval is, is something God has put in us to drive us to him, to put him first in our lives. We, we need to do that. We, we have that sense of what he is doing that pulls us, that leaves with us this sense that I, I, I need a, a approval of one greater than myself. But the problem is our need for approval can be warped by sin leading us to put that, put that need upon other people around us to crave their approval or to fear their rejection. Putting people and their opinion of us first in our lives, instead of God and what he says about us, is what the Bible calls idolatry. And let's just be honest, that means it's sin. It is sin when you and I are living lives where we put somebody else's wants, their approval, over doing what's right, what God calls us to do. Proverbs tells us the fear of man is a snare because to gain the approval of others, we have to sacrifice our values, our, our, our identity to them. We have to sometimes, we end up trying to be somebody else, somebody that we're not so that they like us, so they approve of us. We have to do or be whatever will gain their approval, whether it's good for us or not. We put a higher value on their approval than we do on God's approval and who he created us to be. We become enslaved to that person and to people around us, even if we don't think of it that way. We, we either never find enough approval from others or we live in constant fear of losing the approval we have and being rejected. We can even do the right things for the wrong reasons for the wrong reasons, in order to gain approval. It can be something that outwardly looks exactly like what Christ would want us to do. But if it's in my soul, in my heart, it is because I'm trying to get somebody to like me, somebody to approve of me, somebody to, to please somebody. While it looks good outwardly, it's actually destructive to my soul. Listen, that's important for you and I to hear. We can do the right thing for the wrong reasons, and it can be destructive. 
because we're buying into a lie. We're going down a path God doesn't want us to do. The need for approval leads to unhealthy pride. And, and, and we have a hard time accepting criticism because it's personal. Rather than listening and knowing that our, our confidence is in God's love for us. It can lead us to compromise our, our moral values to, to impress someone or to get in with someone else. It can lead us when we're dating to do all kinds of things that we never thought we would do. But to get that person to like me, to get that person to care about me, I, through the warped thinking that sin creates in our minds, leads me to do things I wouldn't otherwise do. It can cause us to, to seek peace, or really, more accurately, to avoid conflict at, at all costs, especially in the short term, and discover that there are long-term consequences for that. It, it struggles to be truly fair and objective. It, it loves to use flattering speech to get what it needs because it knows somebody else likes to receive approval, so we use that against somebody. In some cases, it becomes codependency, enabling harmful behaviors in others because we need their approval or, or dependence on us to find our value in life. Ultimately, it can act like an addiction because we can never get enough. We are in bondage to the sin in our lives, and we need God's help to overcome it. And the good news is that God wants to help you and me become unstuck from this need for approval from others by offering us his love and approval through Jesus Christ to give it to us in, directly. Proverbs 29, which I read earlier, I only read the first part of the verse. It says, the fear of man lays a snare. But it goes on to say, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Proverbs tells us that God has provided a way for us to free ourselves from, from this fear of man. And it is trusting in the Lord. You know, we choose to trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, for my sins, so that I can be redeemed from bondage to sin, including the need for human approval. That, is, that is, becomes then the rock for our identity. We sang, Brandon had a singing and talking about identity in that, that third song, and that's where it comes from standing on Jesus Christ and what he says about us, believing that that's the truth. Even as I feel tempted to need or want that from someone else, to set that aside and say, no, I will focus on Jesus. Paul wrote to the Galatians, the way it was with us before Christ came, we were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, which it's often could be translated Daddy, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, Paul didn't write this to non-believers. He wrote this to the members of the church in Galatia 
because they didn't understand the freedom that God was offering to them and to us through Jesus Christ. And that's the problem. We often don't realize it either. We get caught up in life and, and we forget and we, we want somebody to like us and we want to get ahead at the job and we, we're in a relationship and we know that, that we have to maybe bend some of our values in order for them to like us more or to go along with us. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we are trapped. We are stuck. The pressure is all around us to seek the approval of others, to get ahead in this world, to, to find the relationships we think we want. And for some of us, it's been so much a part of our world that honestly, we may not even see it. We've done it since we were young. We, it was modeled to us, maybe even in our families. And we, we don't, if we're honest, we don't even know exactly who we are or what we want because we have played the game of trying to be somebody else so that they would like us or approve of us. That's why we need to look this morning at some steps that can help us overcome this fear of man. And the first one it realizes that everyone who struggles with this fear of man, this need for human approval, has to confess this, has to repent that our need has been diverted from the God above who created us to the people around us, to people we look to them for approval rather than him. We, we need to ask ourselves, where am I struggling? Where do I have vulnerabilities to what other people think about me? Maybe I don't have vulnerability in this area, but over here I have a huge vulnerability. We need to ask, we need to ask ourselves that. We need to confess that to God. We need to repent. We see this kind of intentional effort in, in our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Monday nights and in other 12-step programs, but, but it's only picking up on what God first gave us, this step from the beginning to overcome sin in our lives, to confess our sin and our failure and be repentant. And yet, many of these 12-step programs have discovered the power of confession. And we get embarrassed. I don't want to confess. You know, it's not like you have to go to a, a priest or a pastor. We believe that you can talk directly to God, but we still, we don't want to look bad. Hey, let me just give you a hint. God already knows. God is omnipotent, omniscient. He sees everything. He's everywhere. There are no surprises to God. The, the only surprise to him is when we fail to acknowledge the truth, and he doesn't understand why we do that. And that's the power of sin in your life and mine. It's the power of sin that I, I am afraid to admit the truth because I or somebody or God will think less of me. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ died for you while you were a sinner, while you were already messed up, while I was already messed up. I don't want to leave me out of that. While all of us were messed up. And he did it because he already knew he knew this was the only way to help you and me move forward. Now, for the, the non-Christian, this confession includes recognizing that, that not only have I sinned, but I can't save myself. I have to throw myself at the mercy of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross to, to win our redemption and to commit my life to him to receive that forgiveness. It's not that it's not offered, but if I don't, if I don't receive it, it's not mine. 
And if, if you have been in that position and you've not welcomed him into your life this morning, I invite you to do that because then the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Then we see Peter actually making a huge change in a matter of days as the power of the Spirit came to live within him, to transform his heart. Paul told the Galatians, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts to begin that transformation of our need for human approval. And I invite you to consider welcoming Christ into your life today, this morning, so he can begin to free you from this need that you and I have, this sin that seeks human approval. For those of us who are followers of Christ, Christians, we have to confess that in, for many of us, in, in many cases, we have slipped away from Christ to seek the approval of others. Maybe not intentionally, but over time, in at least parts of our lives, and we need His help to turn back to Him and fully reclaim our identity grounded in Christ. That I am loved as I am. I, I am loved as a sinner. I am loved in spite of what I have done wrong. And nothing I do today will stop God from loving me or diminish his love for me. See, that's what we're afraid of is that somehow my sin, that all this will go away. But the promise of Scripture is he loves you. Again, he died for you while you were sinners, not when you started doing better. He died for you and me at the depths of our sin, at the worst for our salvation. We get seduced by the desires and expectations of the world around us and think that God will treat us like everyone else does, like we've got to meet standards, we got to get his approval. But that is not the way God works. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to claim that truth in your lives today. We are God's children now, and we do not lose that because we have sinned again. Look, we're going to sin. Salvation doesn't end sinning. I wish it did. And someday when we meet Jesus face to face, or he returns, or we go to heaven, yes, we won't sin anymore. But as long as we're here on earth, that is a battle you and I will continue to fight. The question is, am I trying to do it Am I fighting it with God at my side or am I trying to hold God at arm's length and think I can do it myself? And that's where tragedy enters in, that we think we can somehow fix it ourselves. When I realize that he already knows, that he loves me, that my sin cannot stop him from loving me, then I can face my faults and failings and, and not lose my identity and my worth to God. It's not on the line. Yes, I screwed up. That doesn't mean God doesn't love me. It doesn't mean that I can't face that truth and battle it with his help. Even if someone else thinks I'm horrible. Scripture tells us we are already in Christ beautiful. We are already beloved. We are already known. We are already loved. Even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. So we need to simply claim it. Second, to do that, and in part to help us, we do that through worship because it's a gift that God has given us to help us claim our identity as children of God. In Psalm 119, it says, Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. That's what you were doing, what we've been doing here this morning in this service. 
But, but it's something you and I need to do routinely, regularly, not once a month, not when it's convenient, not when it fits in our schedule. Jesus didn't die when it was convenient for him. He died while we were still sinners. And he calls us to that same level of commitment back to him. The world is constantly tempting you and me to seek the approval of others. And worship fundamentally alters your stance, my stance, our soul, even when we don't realize it. I mean, it's kind of like meals. I, I can ask you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? For those of you who had breakfast, you could tell me. If I said, what did you have for breakfast Tuesday morning? Some of you could tell me. If I asked you, what did you have for breakfast four months ago on Thursday? Or what did you eat at dinner seven years ago at lunch? Could you tell me? Could you remember? Does it, does it stick out in your mind? Odds are not. Does that mean you didn't eat it? In fact, what would happen if you hadn't been eating those meals? You wouldn't be functioning very well. I mean, that's kind of the thing about food. The truth of the matter is that we need it to survive. We need it to live. But, but we don't remember every meal we've ever eaten. And yet, if we missed those meals, there would be consequences. And when you and I worship, it's not about, man, I remember all those songs, or the preacher said something that I'm never going to forget. There are going to be times where you won't remember, where you look back five weeks, five months, maybe even five minutes, and you say, I don't remember. But you know what? I did come in to worship, to feed my soul. And worship is not about, honestly, worship is not about what do I get. Worship is about worth, assigning, giving worth to our God who sent Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. And when you and I turn from what's in it for me to you are worthy, you are worth all that there is, it changes our heart and soul. Maybe not in ways that I can spell it out, but you cannot worship someone, whether it's a human being, or God, and it doesn't affect your soul. You and I were created to worship Him routinely, regularly. When we don't do that, it's like skipping a meal, and it will have its consequences. You may not be able to point to it in a given moment, in a given time, but it will make a difference. It helps us continually remember who we are and whose we are. I want to challenge you. For some, your, your, your worship schedule may be very hit or miss. Your worship schedule may be what fits my schedule. Would you love for God to say, I'm going to let you fit my schedule about whether or not I let you into heaven? Or, do you want to play that game with him? We take him so for granted. He calls us to worship him. Let's worship him regularly, both in together, but also individually. Pull up a Christian radio station, stream the music. You can do this all the time. And it leads us to the third thing. We need to spend daily time with God, reading his word and praying and focusing on his truth about him 
and about us every day. Getting stuck in approval is a daily battle. It's something that comes against us every day in our workplace, in our families, and so it has to be resisted daily. Any of us can get distracted. Any of us can slide from having our focus on Christ. It can be so subtle we don't even realize it until we wake up one day struggling because we realize we have been seeking the approval of others in this area or that area of my life. That's why Paul wrote, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and, what, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In other words, it becomes this plumb bob that you hold up against our lives to find out where are we coming up short in what God wants us to do. Rather than holding my ears and, you know, back enough, da, 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 I don't want to hear it. Nothing changes. In fact, we go further and further down destructive paths. When God wants to reveal to us, he wants us to confess and repent and turn. Not to shame us, not to condemn us, but because he loves us so much, he wants only the best. Any of you parents know you want the best for your kids. And sometimes they don't want that. They think their way is better. And you have to sometimes get a hold of them. God wants to get a hold of you and me and keep us going on the right path, teaching us to take time each day, reading our Bibles, praying as acts of trust and worship. And finally, let your light shine for Christ. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are here to point others to freedom and power in Jesus Christ. We're not here to soak it all in. We're here to to receive it in order to give it to others so that they can experience the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And so we should use our influence not to try to stoke our egos, not to make ourselves look good, not to have people pat us on the back, but instead to point others to the one who loves us no matter what, who died to save us and all those we encounter from this bondage of sin, including this thing called human approval. At the age of 26, Ken Elzinga was a, was a fairly new Christian and was joining the faculty of the University of Virginia. Uh, a colleague of his, who was a tenured professor, warned him that being uh, open about his faith there in the school was dangerous for his career. It would probably hurt his career. And so Elzinga was kind of stunned He was a Christian. He had agreed to speak to a campus ministry. He walked out and he discovered that they had posted a picture of him announcing that he was going to be speaking the next day. It it scared him to death because he didn't want to hurt his career opportunities. So that evening, he went and he took down the poster. Well, after he had done that, he said, God just started working on him. It was just a dark night of the soul. He wrestled with God all night long. And first thing next morning, he went back and he put the poster back up. He put it back up and and realized that his life wasn't about career ambition, but about faithful discipleship, about following Jesus, about trusting Jesus. God and that being private about his faith wasn't an option. He says now four decades later, looking back, he's been named professor of the year multiple times in spite of that conviction. 
and he is still in high demand as a speaker. And he'll, say the, he'll be the first to say that serving only one master, not everyone, but one, has been so liberating because pleasing an audience of one makes us so much less anxious, less sensitive to criticism, more courageous. Because in doing so, we become more secure, more confident in God's love for us as we live his truth and discover its truth in our daily living. There are going to be people who don't want to hear your story about Christ. And because you want them to like you, because maybe they're your boss, and you don't want to get in wrong with them because there's that guy or that girl you want to date and you think they might be kind of eh about Christians, you hold back or you compromise or you don't say it or you say something totally different. In fact, you start becoming somebody different. But when we confess and repent when we worship when we spend time daily in God's Word when we tell others in appropriate settings about what God has done in us God transforms our heart and, and enables us to find a freedom and yeah, we're like Peter with the Holy Spirit in us. Amazing things can happen. And yes, we can find ourselves still slipping back into old habits because sin is still out there, crouching at the door, a lion ready to pounce. And if you give it a chance, it will jump in. But Christ is ever more ready to transform your heart, to do a new work in you over and over again, to bring you to freedom, to, to release you from trying to meet everybody else's expectations and just worry about meeting his, to live for Christ alone is how you and I get unstuck from the need for approval from the people around us. And it's a challenge. And Christians do fight this battle. But we have a champion and we have, in the life of Peter, we see that, that it can be done. Even in a matter of days or weeks, he was so transformed that he was no longer afraid of death. That's a big change. See, Christ promises us that he is enough. If we keep our focus on him, if we use his strength, we will find his contentment. The apostle Paul wrote, not that I have ever, uh, was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the source for you and me. And if you're tired of trying to meet everyone else's expectations, just know Christ did not create you for that. If you're struggling because it feels like you've got to go against some of your principles in order to get ahead at work, you know what? 
Christ will walk you through it. Yeah, you might lose your job there. But you may discover he will open the door at a place where you can be the follower he called you to be. Or you may discover he will use you to speak in the life of someone there and change the culture of that place. You may have someone in your life who is very manipulative. Someone that you maybe really want to impress. You want to date. You want to be married. You want them to like you. But is that worth sacrificing who you are, who God created you to be, your soul, for someone who doesn't want you for who you are, but only for who you can become for their sake? That is one of the most selfish attacks on you that can be imagined. Don't don't go there. God created you to be you. And he said that you were wonderful, fearfully and wonderfully made. Stand in your identity on Jesus Christ and let him show you the way. Let him help you. And when you need to confess and repent, do it. Spend time in God's word. Worship him and share that good news. And those practices will make those voices, those requests, those needs for approval, become less and less important for you. And you will hear God. In fact, someday you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. For you have been faithful in a little. Welcome into the joy of your master. We put some resources on our Find It page. Uh, if you're interested, uh, some stuff from Right Now Media, some websites, some books. And uh, on the back here, it tells you how, on the notes, it tells you how to access that on our Find It page. Um, our prayer team is going to be right down here. And for some of you, you may need to come up and, and just let them pray over you about some changes you need to make, about something maybe you need to confess. They would love to walk alongside you as Christ has walked alongside us. And if you're a guest today, I'm going to be out here. I'd love to meet you and say hello with some other friends. We would love to do that. Well, let me, let's, let, let's close. Let me pray over us and pray for us and the changes that God can make in you and me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. You, the world doesn't seem to understand an unconditional love. It's so conditional. We have to do certain things to earn it. And so it gets in our mind like I have to make somebody happy for them to like me. I have to, I have to compromise this value or this, this rule. But all I'm really doing is cheating myself and losing who I am. Seeking the approval of others is, is just a dead-end street, Father. Sometimes we learn that too late. Help us today to claim your love in our lives. Help us today to confess where we see ourselves falling short. Help us to ask others around us to help see it. And help us repent and turn to you. And if we're not followers of Jesus, help us give our lives to you now. That we can find the power of your spirit at work in us to make these changes. Help us to worship you. Help us to spend time daily with you. 
Help us to tell others this good news. Help us to be your witnesses. We know, Father, that you love us. And as we live the life you've created us for, you will reveal yourself increasingly into our lives. You will help us feel your affirmation, your love, and know this is what you created us for. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.